Welcome everybody to another episode of the Advisor Arena podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Malm, and my goal each episode is to bring you fresh ideas, a new perspective, innovative practices from some of the most successful financial advisors in our industry. So thanks for joining us today. Let's get started. Welcome everybody. This is Jamie Malm. This is another episode of the Advisor Arena podcast. And today I have Jonathan from Steep Digital. Jonathan is uh, the owner and founder of Steep. He's a vendor that we've worked with for years. So welcome, Jonathan. We're glad to have you today. Thank you so much, Jamie. I'm glad to be here. I am sure you are busier than ever. It's like uh, suddenly Zoom is overwhelmed. All of our vendors that we've been talking about doing digital platforms for years, you guys are just overwhelmed with agents trying to figure out how to make sense of all these changes, right? <laughs> it's like trying to rebuild your business structure in a weekend. So uh, <laughs> every single day is a little bit different. Every conversation is a little different, but. I think uh, we have this big saying that we have on our wall at the office that says opportunity is everywhere. And it just just it means that the the promises and the hope that we have is on the other side of the challenges we face. So we look at them as positive things, even if it's 2 a.m. when those things happen. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I don't think it's like we're rebuilding the business in a weekend. It's for many. It's that's exactly what happened. It's just such a rapid change. And one of the, my favorite quotes that I've seen recently is, change or crisis often forces us to make changes we should have done years ago. And I think that's never Mm. more applicable than kind of getting more in tune with the digital marketplace. So I want to be clear, this isn't something that you just suddenly have transitioned to. You have had years of experience and are really an expert in this area. Um, But it wasn't until recently that I learned more about your background in our industry and our side of the business, which gives you a different perspective um, that may be of an advisor that's calling you. So if you would tell me a little bit about what you did before starting Steep. Yeah, so it's really interesting. My first job out of college, I absolutely hated. And I worked as a database engineer at a credit card processing company. And I spent about 80% of my time looking for other jobs and trying to find ways to flip real estate or do anything else on the side. And one day a guy that I knew from church came to me and said uh, that he ran a company, a small business, and his marketing manager had quit and he asked me to come and be his new marketing manager. And I said, I have no idea what that means, but I want to do it because I wanted to do something else. And so that was a that was the FMO here in town. And I, I ended up being the seventh employee at, a, at the company. And I had worked there for five years. And by the time I left, there were 45 employees and started off kind of running all of their marketing. I ran a print shop. We actually had our own print shop that we ran and printed uh, mailers for seminars that we conducted with our agents across the country. And, um, I transitioned into like an advisor recruiting and support role after a while. And then after about four, five years of that, Jamie, I decided I knew everything about the FMO business I needed to know and that I could go do it on my own. So I started doing that. I, I started a, a group with two other peers that I had met there. And um, I, I ran that business for five years. And what I found, and I think kind of what's interesting is kind of like the genesis for what we're doing now is that um, when we try to compete against the big FMOs that are established and do a great job of supporting hundreds or even thousands of advisors, like we just got kicked in the teeth and we decided we've got to do something totally, totally different. 
And so I went out and spent almost $100,000 that I didn't have to try to learn digital marketing from experts that were outside of the financial industry so I could bring that back in. And um, took a long time to do that. Eventually started running Google ads, did webinars, uh, transitioned into like this video funnel. Eventually ended up doing uh, Facebook advertising and, and really started doing a lot of seminars. And that was kind of the catalyst for growth in that business. So... Yeah, I mean, from then on, I I ended up selling that business back to my partners and started Steep in 2017. But uh, I think that if you, I've, I've spoken in front of rooms before, Jamie, I'm sure you've heard these stories as well. But you ask an advisor, uh, uh, a, a, a insurance professional, like, what is, how did you get to where you are today? I don't think anybody is like, yeah, I went to school to sell annuities. <laughs> we all have like the serendipitous path that takes us to get here. Um, but I think that, in the marketing space, it's definitely been uh, a huge benefit to be able to understand what life is like uh, in agent shoes and what it's like to meet with people and this whole game of marketing that we're playing all the time. So it definitely gives perspective. And I think more than anything, it really helps me admire and have an appreciation for the work that, uh, that all of our clients do. I couldn't agree more. That perspective is hard to get, right? It's, I mean, it's such a, an odd world that our advisors live in they you know that for the most part they're on their own um, they don't have you know this huge company backing them or a ton of staff and you know they're just trying to figure out how to piecemeal all these things together by themselves so to be able to work with somebody like you that has a step-by-step process that says i know what you're going through because i've been in your shoes i i have you know, learn from some of the best in the business that have also been there is such a great perspective. And I think to the credit of our advisors, up until a few weeks ago, a lot of them had pretty limited exposure to doing webinars or virtual appointments or any kind of online appointment scheduling. I'm thrilled to see how many have risen to the challenge and are busier than ever. But I am interested in your perspective how much has changed for those of you that have been using social media for years to drive traffic to traditional seminars? What's the change? What are you seeing now that you're using the same platform, social media, Facebook, but you're driving traffic to online seminars? Well, I think the experience that we're having is actually kind of a microcosm of what's happening across the entire world right now. Um, up until about, you know, when this whole crisis started in early March, at least in the United States when it started, um, the average baby boomer over 55 spent an hour and 15 minutes every day on Facebook. That represents 78% of people over 55 in America who are active Facebook users. Um, the number one leisure activity outside of work, um, and that's even higher than television watch time, is typically time spent not just on, on the internet and not just on social, but specifically on Facebook. Over the last three weeks, we've seen those numbers spike. There are areas of the, of the world where Facebook is experiencing between a 50 and a 75% increase in what they're calling dwell time or how, how long someone's spending on the application. So I think, Jamie, what we're seeing is a lot more of the same. In other words, you know, we've, we've seen almost this addictive, like, uh, 
ritual that people go through when they talk online with social now trap them in their house with nothing to do and no one to talk to and nothing to buy and nothing new on tv to watch and no sports no anything and all of a sudden like we're just seeing uh people really 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 like investing so much of their time on online i i think that's one thing is just more dwell time more engagement which has been good for advertisers at the same time um, just kind of as an aside here, we're seeing advertisers pull back their advertising budgets globally in this recession-like period that we're seeing. And so that's just a simple supply and demand equation. All of a sudden, there's more impressions to be bought. There's less people buying them. And so advertisers like us have the opportunity to go in there and get a lot more bang for our buck and ultimately lower prices with our ads. But I think the other thing is Facebook, re- not necessarily Facebook-specific related, but just digital in general, I think what we're seeing, Jamie, is, you know, in the same way that our advisors are having to try to adapt their businesses, hey, how do I do Zoom calls? How do I do webinars? How do I do e-apps? Like all of the things that we're trying to do to change our business online, our clients are going through the exact same thing right there. The appetite for financial information is off the charts right now. They're like literally people just hungry to learn what they should be doing and how the, how all these market changes are affecting them. And yet their advisors or a, a different advisor is so inaccessible to them through traditional means. But I think what we're seeing is that evolutionary process that our businesses are going through is, is going even to the consumer level where people are wanting to join webinars and willing to go to zoom meetings and um, have this virtual experience with an advisor. So, I mean, that might be three things there, the changes with Facebook uh, view time and, um, and also the, um, just the willingness of clients to participate. But I, I think that's primarily what it is that we're seeing right now is just this rapid, you know, two week evolution of how everybody's conducting their life and business. I, I, all good points. And one thing I can tell you from being on this side of the business and hearing all the advisors calling in and telling me, this is the activity that I'm seeing for anybody that thinks, oh, nobody's going to want to meet right now or they have bigger concerns to worry about the meeting with their financial advisor. That couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, those that are mm-hmm. active out there and being proactive and reaching out in any way virtually are so busy. I mean, a lot of them, you can't even get a hold of them during the day. We have to help. You know, I'm, I'm answering emails and, and communicating more so now in the evening and late at night because they're just so busy during the day because of the appetite that's out there for consumers to connect with somebody, especially an expert in the thing that's driving a lot of emotion right now, which is the health of their finances. So I couldn't agree Mm -hmm. more. I I am getting some questions from advisors that I want to pick your brain on a little bit. So I think everybody is pretty familiar with like a traditional seminar and what's my time frame needed to set up the event? How long do I have to give it for the mail to hit and then people to respond and then hold the traditional seminar? What about an online seminar? What's the time frame look like? I think we have to understand what it is people want from us. And that can help us understand like how much time do we need to be spending with them here? If somebody wanted a commercial, they could go on TV and watch it. And if somebody wanted to watch like a, a class on this. They could go on to YouTube. And I think Yale and Harvard have like all their finance classes for free right now. So I think we have to be somewhere in the middle there where we need to super focus on application. Like how can you as a local 55 plus person understand what's happening right now? Uh, So it needs to be applicable. But I think in terms of timing, 
it's really hard to get into the meat of a subject within any time less than 30 minutes. I think once you get into 30 minute range, you're having deeper conversations about the specific items that you're talking through. You're really teaching at that point. Um, and then I think once you get past like 50 minutes, you've really gone into that. Like this is really in depth, deep, heavy stuff. So there's a window there of 30 to 50 minutes that I think can work. Um, that's going to differ for different advisors. But I think what I would say is um, watch your or make your kid or your mom or your friend that who doesn't know anything about finances watch your seminar, and then he'll tell you like the five ten minute chunks that you need to pull out of there. The the most important thing with with webinars is that no one's going to stand up in your seminar and walk out in a, in a library or a college or a restaurant. Like we have this unwritten social contract that says we have to pay attention to you when we're physically present together. But online you have the ability to, to ignore somebody. If you get tired of listening to this podcast, pause it, go on to something else. If you're watching a video, like, okay, go open another tab or go click on the one that's right next to you. Or there's so much distraction on the internet. And because it's virtual, people don't have like these social norms in play. So what you're really aiming for is not necessarily the length so much at all as it is like, what can we do with the way we position and frame our content so that we engage people and keep them on the whole time. So I've got a training video, Jamie, it's about an hour long uh, that I uh, have been giving to advisors to kind of help them through uh, webinar coaching. Up until now, we've reserved that just for people who have purchased webinars from us. But for your listeners, if you'd like to, I'll get you a link to where um, you can access that. And I'll go into like some really in-depth coaching on kind of positioning and timeframes and some of the more nuanced details of webinar delivery, if that's helpful. That's awesome. That's so generous. So I want to make sure anybody that's listening caught that. This is something that normally you only provide to your clients. But for anybody that calls you that says they heard this on the podcast, if you want the hour long training on how to be more engaging and make sure, you know, you don't have um, people dropping off or at least you're limiting the, the opportunity for them to do that, then you've got an hour long training that talks through some specifics on how to avoid that. Did I understand that right? Yep, that's correct. I'll just send a link to you, Jamie. And if you'd like, to, obviously people can get that from us as well, but I'll get that in your hands so that awesome. you can uh, help your clients get that as well. I appreciate that. So one thing that I, I noticed that you had said, I think it was a webinar that I listened to you on. You said you have the ability during a webinar to send out a call to action, like with a push of a button. So at minute seven or minute 14 or at the end, you can actually send calls to action along the way. Did I understand that correctly? Yeah, that is accurate. That's exactly how it works. Um, there's, there's actually a few things that you can do with the webinar software and software isn't going to make anybody rich. There's no magic to any software. We've used a couple different apps in our testing process. So like if you have an app that you like and you're doing this on your own, like don't change course because of what I'm telling you. The most important thing is implementation. Imperfect implementation is better than something that never actually gets implemented. So all that being aside, the webinar platform we use allows you to push out a number of different um, either offers or um, you know, benefits to people through this little portal. And so the way it works is, you know, 
for our uh, advisor we've been working with, we've suggested offering a 15 or 20 minute strategy call as your call to action within the webinar. So when you have that call to action, uh, I recommend people to actually do it twice. Once at the beginning, just kind of warm up people in the audience. Hey, if you're going to jump on and leave really quickly and you would like more information, go ahead and feel free to take advantage of this. And you just click one button on the screen and it'll push out a link to your online um, calendar scheduling app uh, directly onto the screen. You can put a little countdown on there to have some subtle um, scarcity built into it as well. Um, and then it, typically at the end, we'll have that, that, you know, prominently displayed at the end of it, but it allows you to, you know, kind of time what that call to action is so that people can receive it at the moment that they're most engaged. I've also, uh, we also can put out files. If you had like a nice PDF that's correlated with the presentation you're doing, like a good tax guide or, you know, something about the market or a great article you downloaded or anything like that, those would be like what I would just call value ads. And you can also give those to webinar attendees through a file system that's very similar. So what I've heard advisors do, and this is, I think, super ninja, but at the very beginning, hey, if you're here today and this is valuable to you, like I've got something really um, valuable that I've prepared that I'm going to offer you at the very end to download. It's going to show you X, Y, and Z. Um, so everybody who's on this at the very end, I'll make sure I offer that to you. But what you do is you kind of bookend your seminar by promising this value at the very end. And people aren't going to want to leave until they get that. So then you can build that offer, the actual call to action offer in before that webinar download um, becomes available to them. So you're doing a good job of A, providing value, which is most important to consumers, and B, holding them to the end. But really what you're doing is trying to get them to be online and present and aware at the moment you're giving that call to action. And I think one you know, one key point there is ultimately what we're trying to accomplish is appointments. So if somebody seven minutes into your webinar is like, I'm in, I want to meet with you. I want to call with you. That call to action got me. Great. We don't care. Then, you know, push that out. They don't necessarily need to be on for the full 30 minutes. If it takes somebody 14 minutes to say, that's awesome. That's what I'm looking for. I need to talk to this person. Great. If it takes them, you know, the full 30 minutes, then the point of having multiple calls to action is similar to what we do within a traditional seminar where, you know, let's, and this will be familiar to most advisors. If they're holding an hour long traditional seminar, they have it broken down into sections. And typically each section has a call to action where we say, if that's an area of interest, then make sure you pull out your eval form and mark that down that you'd like to receive X, Y, Z. And that could be, you know, social security maximization report or, 12 IRA and legacy planning mistakes or whatever your call to action is, you can do the same thing in a webinar. Now more than ever, we have even more content, right? So we have the CARES Act mm -hmm. and we have people wondering that run small businesses, what kind of forgivable loans do I have available? What about, um, you know, grants? So there's all kinds of little new opportunities that you can build in as a call to action. I love that piece of it. And I think probably we have some people that are listening thinking that sounds great. I don't have, I would have no idea how to do that. Do you guys provide support on if that's something you want to do, we'll show you exactly how to go about pushing those calls to action out. Yeah, you'll get two really valuable support uh, mechanisms when you, when you decide to do a webinar with us. The, the first thing is we've got a very succinct, like 15 to 20 minute video that shows you, uh, how to how to launch your webinar and and to execute these calls to action on your own. 
Um, I almost think of like when you're, when you are uh, building a Lego set, you don't want like a novel, like a 200 page, like direction guide. You want like little simple pictures that just show you step one, two, three, four. This would be the Lego guide. It's just, here's exactly what to do. Log in here, click this button, check your slides, check your audio, push launch. Just through about 10 steps or 10 button clicks, you'll be able to launch your webinar. And that's all recorded in a video. The other thing is that our entire team, and I mean our entire team of 20 people have been trained on not only how to do this, but how to talk an advisor through it. So we always recommend setting up a test run either the day before or several days before your webinar and going through and familiarizing yourself with the controls. Like we'll build all your call to actions and your webinar slides in there for you uh, when you provide them to us. So that'll already be set up and ready to go, but just understanding that system and being familiar with it. And the way I like to do it, Jamie, I'm a big football fan. I'm a big Broncos fan, even though they've sucked the last few years, but um, the Broncos have gone through a few rookie quarterbacks. And it seems like the thing that the commentators are always talking about with, when they're talking about young quarterbacks is, you know, year one, everything is so new and crazy and the NFL is different. Year two, all of a sudden, the game starts to slow down. And what it is is that quarterback recognizes, hey, the safety's going to go over here. They're going to bring edge pressure. or I need my running back to chip this guy. He's just going to know all that stuff. He's not going to have to think through every detail. And instead, he can really focus on, like, this broader, more nuanced game that he's playing and being able to correctly do his job as a quarterback. And I think that's what we're trying to get advisors to is, like, if you're worried about the tech and the buttons and the offer and, you know, where do I advance my slides, you're going to be so distracted by the game that it'll 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 hurt your presentation. And our goal there through providing the tools and the coaching is so that it's like the software is just like a necessary part of broadcasting, but in reality it's just, you know, very, very simple and you're not worried about all of those things. So you know, we do our very best to help on that one on one basis. I've been at home uh here in my house, um probably helping seven or eight advisors myself at at late at night trying to help um launch these webinars. So we'll bend over backwards to help make that an easy process for people. I have been very pleasantly surprised with some of my advisors that I would consider not um, that familiar with technology or how to do some of this, that with a quick, you know, 20, 30 minute walkthrough, they become very, it's very easy to implement and use. So I don't want anybody listening to this to feel like, oh gosh, that seems so overwhelming. I don't think I can do all that. I would have no idea how to push that out. All we need for the advisor to do is to do what you always do. Talk to people, share ideas, be engaging. We've got resources to help you with the rest. So Jonathan, I'm going to, this isn't necessarily rapid fire questions, but I don't want you to overthink it necessarily. Just some quick answers here to some questions that I'm getting. How much time is needed if an advisor came to you now to say, I want to hold a webinar, how much time is needed to get that going? Ordinarily, that'll be a 10-day lead time. We'll need about a week to build it and four days to run the ads. Um, right now, we're bending over backwards to take those on as rushes without charging fees and accommodating any opportunity we can. So ask us. We'll give you a custom schedule if, it's, uh, if we're able to do it shorter than that. But about 10 to 11 days is a good expectation. Okay. And how long would I have to wait after I hold one event before I can go do it again in the same area? We'd recommend that your um, your rest time for your audience, basically letting that market cool down a little bit, is at least one week between the end of your first or when your actual uh, webinar takes place and your next one starts. 
Uh, but with our run times only being about four days, you're looking at a total of 10 uh, days between one ad campaign and the next. So yeah, it needs to cool down about seven days and then you can reload and start going again. It allows you a lot of flexibility that you're not used to having with seminar marketing. Yeah, that's a much quicker turnaround than with the traditional seminar. So that's definitely a positive. What about financial service professionals that are licensed in other states? Does this open up more opportunities to hold seminars away from their local area? It absolutely does. I think that the flexibility within webinars is maybe the biggest benefit. I mean, one of the biggest things that's a a pain in the butt when we're helping advisors book physical seminars is, hey, go to find a venue and that venue won't let you in or they're booked or you can only do it in the morning. Uh, And then you've got to pay them a fee and a deposit and you've got to get on the schedule 30 days in advance. And maybe that's farther driving distance away than you want. And there's all of these like physical constraints that come with working with venues. Well, now all of a sudden, like you can go anywhere you want. You can go two hours away from your office. You can go a state away from your office. You can go directly in your backyard. There's, there's so much, you can actually have a webinar running in two places at once. So you could have a campaign that's got half the audience in Arkansas and half of it in Denver, if that's what you wanted to do. We're actually doing that for a guy who's got an office in Utah and Dallas right now. And so, yeah, I mean, really as, as creative as you can be with this stuff, uh, there's a lot of cool opportunity and flexibility that, that this presents for you. Yeah, there really is a ton more opportunity that many may not think about, at least initially, because they're so used to the restraints or the constraints within a traditional seminar. We can really think outside the box here, and it's opened up a ton of opportunity. What about the question I'm getting asked on holding the event live versus recording it? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I think that probably a lot of advisors get excited when they hear about this idea of uh, recorded webinars or on-demand webinars. And rightly so. I mean, we're tired of driving away from our houses to go to restaurants or libraries, wherever we're used to doing our seminars. Now we're at home, we're in our office, where we're more comfortable without travel. And then the idea of even having to not even do it and have it recorded is really appealing. So I think there's definitely a time and a place for recorded, but I think that there is a right answer to the question. And that's to start with doing live webinars and transition into on-demand webinars once you've proven a couple key metrics to yourself. I think that there's a couple of advantages to doing live off the bat. One is that when you know there's somebody on the other end of the line watching you live, you're naturally going to be more engaged and more on, you know, you'll, you'll connect with that audience because you know, they're right on the other end of the line with you. Sometimes when we're sitting behind a computer or on a phone, we slouch, slouch in our chairs and we get a little bit more lackadaisical. So I think that um, recording live is automatically going to cause you to be a little bit more on. Um, the other thing is that the most important metric that you want to measure when you're doing a webinar is of the people who showed up, whether it's 10 or 200, how many of the people who showed up actually took that call to action and scheduled an appointment with you. And if that number is off and you go directly into a uh, recorded webinar, you're not going to know that until your first or second or maybe even third webinar. But if you go directly to live, you'll know instantly what that appointment setting rate is. And if it's a good piece of content, then perfect. Let's we'll automatically record it. Uh, we'll use that as an on-demand webinar going forward. But if, if you miss the mark and you get 
you know, one out of 20 people to schedule an appointment just means we need to dial in our process more. So I think it's a really, really great perspective to take of, Hey, we want to get to this nirvana of totally automated marketing. But before we do that, step number one is prove to ourselves that we're converting. And once we have that proven piece of content, then graduate into that on-demand webinar. That's good advice. I think intuitively we're thinking of the opposite, right? That it's, I'm not that comfortable with it, so I want a chance to record it. That way, if something doesn't go well, there's no pressure, it's not live. But what you're saying is it's more important than for it to be perfect to actually know if people are engaging, if what you're talking about is having the desired results that you want and doing it live, you'll know that instantly. Whereas if you record it, you may spend a lot of time and effort and energy driving traffic to content that just missed the mark a little bit. Did I understand that correctly? Yeah. No, you're 100% right. I watched one of our advisors' webinars this week, and he, in the middle of his webinar, he kind of impulsively decided to share his screen. He's like, hey, let me show you the stock chart that I was just looking at right now. So he goes to click on it and switch away from like the video of his face and the slides over to this live page that he had pulled up. He could not for the life of him get it figured out. And his assistant came over and she was talking to him and she's like, well, why don't we click this button? And he's kind of joking and making some, uh, you know, just small talk while they're waiting. He never ended up getting the, the chart to work. And it was funny. He laughed it off and he's like, you know what? He's like, we're all adapting to technology right now. I'll tell you what this slide shows you. And if you're interested, then reach out to me and I'll email this to you. And he did such a fantastic job uh, really playing that off, engaging with people. But what it did is it humanized him. And his appointment setting rate was ridiculously high, like literally 75% of people. So I think this notion that we have in our heads that everything has to be like TV studio quality is not really real. I think when you are a relatable person and you're not so concerned about getting everything totally right, then not only you humanize yourself, but you prove that that's an engaging way to deal with the audience. So it's a a really important thing. I think I listened to a bunch of digital marketing podcasts and the guy named Ryan Dice, he runs a company called Digital Marketer. He has this idea that he calls the tall poppy syndrome. And it means that the tallest poppy in the field is the first one to get cut down. So us as humans, naturally, we kind of, you know, emulate that behavior. And you say, well, I don't want to be that one that's standing up. I don't want to be the one that gets noticed. I'm afraid of criticism. And when we have that notion, then we actually have the totally wrong perspective. Because as long as we're looking at our content serving ourselves and it's all about us, we're not doing it for the right reasons. The reasons we do this is to serve other people. And when you have that perspective and you can be humble about it, not only are you going to be more relatable, but you really will be serving people well. So, um, a little bit of a tangent there, but I think just understanding our primary objective is to serve our audience. It doesn't have to be perfect. And then also, you know, tying back to this really important point, which is that getting this to work, getting the appointments is really all that matters. And if something happens, if the cat runs in front of your camera, or if you can't use your slides the way you want to, all that really matters is that end result. I think that's such a great perspective. And I know I am invited to webinars and go to meeting and conference calls and things all the time. And some of them are by choice and some are scheduled that we just must be on. And I would much prefer to be on, uh, you know, an engaging webinar with somebody who's real life. It's not perfect. They're just talking to me like they would be if I were sitting across the desk from them than if it was a super polished recording. It just feels so much different. And 
I don't mind at all when things don't go exactly as planned or, you know, there's a little <laughs> funny or something. I think that, like you said, that makes us feel like we're all in this together. So, gosh, I, you know, if you're an advisor out there and you're thinking I, I've got to be perfect with everything that I say and do and my transitions and my calls to action and my tone of voice, that's certainly not it. You just need to connect with people and you just need to talk to them like they're real people. So that's wonderful. That's a great example of that. My final question kind of leads us into this, and I don't want to be talking out two sides of our mouth here with recommendations, but I know there are some people who are going to want maybe a little bit higher equipment than just talking into their cell phone or talking into their computer speakers or what have you. For example, you, I think, said you use a Yeti microphone. I'm on a Yeti microphone. I ordered it off of Amazon for, I don't, I don't even remember what it was, a couple hundred dollars. We have a lot of our advisors that have that already for the radio shows that they record in their studios. What if somebody wanted maybe just a little step up with sound, with audio, with lighting? What kind of equipment are we talking about if they want to go that route? Yeah, you brought up a really good point. I think that, you know, being yourself and, and being professional can both happen at the same time. So I don't think you have to feel like imposter syndrome if you go out and spend $100 on a microphone or something. So I do think that putting your best foot forward and creating professional image is always a great idea. Um, if you choose to do that, I think that the important thing to know is, you know, the number one camera that everybody has that's hooked up to a computer is the one on their, their laptop. Sometimes laptop cameras are really nice and sometimes they really suck. I have a brand new MacBook 15 inch like MacBook Pro and the video on it is actually pretty good. And so I've done most of my broadcasting with that. If that's you, you probably don't need to buy one. But if you do want to level up or you have a poor camera, I think the important thing to do is don't just go buy any camera. If you go to Walmart or Best Buy, they're going to have the $40 camera there. It'll kind of do it, but it's not going to really be much of an improvement. I think what you want to look for is a frame rate of 60 frames per second and a resolution quality of 1080p. As long as you get that, you're going to be good. A lot of the higher end cameras out there for web broadcasting are 4K. And I'll tell you this right off the bat, there is not a single webinar streaming service out there that even uses 4K. So you're wasting your money if you buy a $300 camera, but there might be something in that 170 range that's really good for you. There's one that is called the Logitech Stream. And if I got that name wrong, you can check out our blog. If you go to cdigital.com slash blog, there's a button in the top right-hand corner. And the newest blog post we just put out actually has all the recommendations for tech on there. So the Logitech is a good option. I think the most important thing is just making sure that you've got that 1080p video in 60 frames per second. With microphones, there's a cheaper version of the Yeti, or I'm sorry, the Blue out there that's called the Snowball. That's a good kind of backup one. I think it is worth it to spend another $70, $80, like you said, Jamie, and get the Yeti, which is what I use and what I recommend. And in terms of lighting, lighting on your face is really important. A lot of times, the lighting in your home or office is going to be directly overhead. It's going to cast shadows on your face, which it's not only not going to look great, it's also going to cause the camera to like want to refocus and try to pull that picture in a little bit sharper. And so just a simple light on your face is going to make a big difference in picture quality. When I did this earlier this week, I recorded a video and I literally just took this desk lamp and pointed it at my face and that worked just fine. 
there are three types that we recommend on our site, ranging anywhere from like thirty to a hundred dollars. The hundred dollar option is the one I would recommend. It's a just an LED um, light. It allows you to soften or brighten the kind of the tone of that light as you would require. It also doesn't put off any heat, so you're not going to be sweating or glistening on screen. It's really small. It packs up easily in an office. So there's a couple options out there, just depending on what your budget, but. I would just say, don't let technology get in your way. If you're like, Hey, I have to get everything perfect. And this thing's on back or I can't order it. Like imperfect execution is better than doing nothing. So start, start like be in motion. But if you do decide to upgrade, um, those are the three I would recommend. And there is a lot more information that's on our blog. I, I didn't realize, but I have a tip on this. I, I remember where I learned this, I think in a, maybe a women's leadership group that I'm a part of on social media or something like that. But um, for any women on the call or any men that have access to their wives' makeup <laughs> drawers at home, the kind of old school makeup mirrors that have the lighting on them, you just hit a button and it lights up. If you put those like right around where your camera would be, um, it shines some great light on your face for lighting. So that would be a really simple hack for somebody that wants to better their lighting in their office. I agree. The sound has to be good and the lighting has to be good it's it's tough if it's not i've used some cameras and i i can see some videos where i'm like yeah that lighting isn't great i probably need to do something different about that mm-hmm. but, yeah pretty easy little fixes there so i'm glad to hear that you have a blog because i would never remember when i went out there like, what the heck was it 1080 what but if you are listening and you are interested tell them again where they can go to your site to see that blog post if they want to see the equipment yeah, the easiest way to get there is probably to just Google Steep Digital Marketing and go to our site. And then in the top right corner, there's a button that says blog. And it'll show all of the recent blog posts. The very first one, it says the advisor's ultimate guide to webinar broadcasting equipment. And you can click on that link. And it has three options for cameras, three options for lighting, and three options for microphones. Just to kind of help you depending on your budget and your required quality. I will say right now, we're recording this like in early April right in the middle of the COVID crisis. If you're seeing this later, you might not have the same issue, but right now a lot of this stuff is back ordered because people are buying it like crazy, trying to get at home equipment. So if you're thinking about doing it, you might go do it before you absolutely need it because shipping on some of these things is a little bit delayed. Yeah. Good tip. Well, Jonathan, that has been fantastic information. I so appreciate you taking some time to go through this and and share some tips of best practices, what others are doing. If somebody wants to reach you or a member of your team, if they want to discuss some of the various options that you support advisors with, what's the best course of action for them to get in touch with you? Well, there's a couple things. We just put up today, actually, a resource page all about webinars. So if you're specifically interested in webinars, Again, if you're on the seat page, there's a header navigation that just says webinars. There's a ton of resources on there. There's some free videos. We're doing pretty regularly scheduled coaching calls where I'll actually get in group calls and help everyone out. There's a pre-webinar checklist that kind of gets you prepped and shows you the timeline for certain actions to get prepared for webinar. So there's a lot of great information on there. Also on the SEEP website, there's a contact page. We have our support groups kind of regionalized West Coast, Central, and East Coast. And so, um, we, you know, if you go through that that contact form, we'll actually plug you in directly with the support group that you're supposed to work with. Um, you can always call our number, even though we're working virtually right now, you can just call that 720 number that's on the screen on our site, and that'll get you in touch with the right person. So 
Lots of ways to do it. We always love people connecting with us on social. We're really active on there. We just did a Facebook Live today actually giving away a Yeti microphone to one of our followers. So uh, feel free to reach out to us any way you'd like. I think you'll get the most benefit going through that new uh, webinar um, page that we've got a bunch of free resources on. Uh, But obviously, any method of contact that's good for you. And if if you'd like to reach me directly, my email is just Jonathan, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N, at speeddigital.com. And I will reply to every email I get. So feel free to reach out to me. And if it's something I can help you with, I will. If it's something our team needs to help you with, I'll get you in touch with the right person. That's fantastic, Jonathan. I appreciate it so much. Thank you and have a great weekend. You too. Thank you, Jamie.